On Sunday, June 2nd, tune in to WBAI from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. for our special coverage of 50 Years Since Stonewall, Pride, Politics, and Progress. Back then, what began as a police raid led to days of protests, a newfound empowerment, and staunch advocacy to achieve social progress for the LGBTQ communities. And we'll speak with leaders on the front lines, elected officials, advocates, and history makers who've been part of the gay rights movement and have witnessed its successes and setbacks. This World Pride Month, WBAI celebrates achievements since Stonewall, and we speak out against Trump administration efforts to roll back these rights. 50 Years Since Stonewall on WBAI in New York, Sunday, June 2nd, from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. You're listening to WBAI New York. The time now is 5.01, exactly. Welcome to Driving Forces, where we focus on the big issues in the city and the state and national politics, issues that matter to you. I'm Jeff Simmons, and I'll be joined shortly by my lovely co-host, Celeste Katz. We're on every Thursday at 5 o'clock, and we have some great guests coming up today on today's show. Last week, if you recall, we had uh, New York City's First Lady, Shirlane McRae, on the show in her first interview since her husband announced earlier that morning that he was the 24th candidate uh, to announce to run for the presidency. And, uh, you know, she didn't divulge too much about what was going to be happening over the next Next year, but we were, you know, excited to be able to have her on the show. And that was before the Quinnipiac poll then came out just a few days ago, where the mayor was not ranking too high. James, uh, he did not have high numbers at all. There were significant unfavorability ratings. Uh, you know, and of course, these polls are going to factor in uh, in an incredible way as far as which candidates are going to be able to participate in the debates coming up, uh, the first uh, presidential debates in Miami next month. Uh, your views on that, James? <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot there. Uh, I've, I think I've made my case. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've, I've said just about all I can say on the subject. So, Although I think they must have polled a lot of New Yorkers with that result. Yeah, and, you know, and that's interesting. It's uh, Some of the stuff we're going to be able to talk about with two of our guests. We have uh, two great guests who are going to be coming up uh, today, two journalists uh, who are in the trenches, who've covered the uh, mayor's administration. Uh, we will have Nolan Hicks from uh, the New York Post, and then later on, Ivan Pereira from AM New York, two papers uh, that I read closely every day, uh, really to ask them about what their assessment is about why the mayor announced at this time that he's going to seek the presidency, what factored into this, and also what the reception has been, not just at home here in New York City, uh, but also in Iowa and South Carolina, where the mayor has started to, you know, uh, to pound the pavement on the presidential trail. But before we get to that, I do want to remind our listeners, if you are tuning in today, if you're tuning in at any point, we are in fundraising season. And it's just, you know, if you love WBAI, whether you listen to this show regularly or you listen to James's show uh, or you uh, soak in the news every night right after our show and listen to Paul, you know, if you appreciate WBAI, I'd love for you to call and pledge today. It's We just want to raise $500 tonight. You know, that's uh, how many people, James? That's 10 people of $50. That, that should be doable for sure. That would be wonderful. All you've got to do is just pledge at 516 620 
3602 or you can go online at give to that is the number two wbai.org um, what we're hoping to do also is to close the gap i know i said five hundred dollars that's the minimum i really want to raise because um andrea at the station informed me that we're within that three thousand dollar range to be able to get to our ten thousand goal to improve the, the more studio. than mics yeah the more than mics campaign i do that too on my program i specialize in more than mics because we really are eager to get into that facility and be able to gaze out over Atlantic Avenue. It troubled me that I, I couldn't sneak in there today because every week I'm checking its progress. And when the storm just, you know, barreled through Brooklyn yes. a short while ago, mm -hmm. you listeners would have been able to hear this, you know, in the room we're in right now, but in the soundproof, beautiful studio that's being developed right down the hall, which can be developed with just under 3,000 more, uh, you will not hear that. You won't even hear the traffic We outside. just need like twists of wire and clamps and things to you know to to enable what we have there now because the main hardware the big stuff is already sitting there but we're, now we just need the little things the, the rubber bands and the, and the mm -hmm. chewing gum to put well, it all together well we don't need that that's what we use in this room but down there, <laughs> it's, it's more you know, high-tech equipment. Titanium. It, it's looking beautiful. If you can call at 516-620-3602, that would be superb. Or you can even text WBAI to 41444. I was at a um, – a, and the text to give is so easy to do. I was at an event last night at Queens Theater – uh, where they came up to the text to give. And it, you know, literally, as we're sitting in the audience, we're able to just text Great. their thing. It is so easy to just text WBAI to, to uh, 41444. Just type in that number, put WBAI, the amount of money that you'd like to donate, $50 would be superb. The closer we get to that 10,000 goal in the More Than Mike's campaign, the, the more, you know, uh, of our ability to launch that new studio down the hall. And boy, do I want to have a celebration when we do that. Absolutely. And this particular program, Jeff, and I'll say Celeste, even though she's not here yet, is you get such great guests. You, you really get very high echelon, significant uh, uh, guests and, who matter. Well, this is because, you know, I, look, I'd like to pat myself on the back, but it's the woman who sits with me. Uh, Celeste, uh, whether it was working at the Daily News or, or Newsweek or Mike, she has so many contacts. She's covered, you know, national politics for quite some time. And so she knows a lot of these people. I, you know, for our listeners, you probably, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you've probably realized that I know a lot more people on the local level. Yeah. Um, uh, having been involved in city government for the city controller and also as a reporter at uh, at New York One and the Post and News, I got to know a lot of local officials. But Celeste has like traveled on the campaign trail. That's actually how we met James during the uh, Elliot Spitzer uh uh, David Patterson campaign when I was working with David Patterson handling his communications and Celeste was one of the Daily News reporters trailing us and she was uh -huh. just annoying me all the time because she was really good uh -huh. and and so David would she always stop and talk you're with her. You're both good. <laughs> you know I was thinking about the phone callers. You never have an empty phone you know that there are always callers to call and i was thinking well gee maybe if, the, if some of those callers are listening now uh, it would be great to have a, a whole bunch of callers call up with some contributions and you know and what's also important to me is and, and i do listen to this even when we're criticized um, criticized or we're criticized like you need to ask this or why don't you touch on this topic i keep a running list like sounds familiar and <laughs> if there is the same uh, woman listener from maybe two months ago it is still on my list that i want to do a show on the electoral 
college. Oh, uh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I was very happy that, that she brought that up, and yeah. I want to do that. And that is something we're going to do. And I know we, uh, you know, that's the lesson I've talked about women's issues. We've talked about uh, what is going on in Alabama, for instance, that there is there's something I would like to have NARAL on uh, and other guests who are going to be able to talk about what's going on on a national level, uh, which is uh, curbing a woman's right to choose. Uh, you know, it's spreading, it, and it is spreading, and it, and you know, and just it's not just Alabama and, anymore. And, it, and what did I just read? Was it Florida or California? No, I don't think it was California. I think no, Florida. No, but, but read it's, there it's some in the measure. Midwest, even. You know. Yeah, it's amazing how much it seems like we're scaling back on rights. And actually, at the beginning of the show, for our listeners, if you heard uh, the promo. Uh, for the show that I'm going to be doing on June 2nd, uh, we're going to have special coverage, not just me, but there'll be a group of folks as well throughout the day from 11 to 6 on June 2nd, talking about 50 years since the Stonewall Uprising. Right. And it's not just going to be talking about Stonewall, but what has happened as far as LGBTQIA rights since then, the movement towards marriage equality, uh, activism amid the a- the beginning stages of the AIDS epidemic, uh, so I've confirmed a number of good guests. In fact, I was telling James, and I hope this still happens, uh, Barney Frank has agreed to be one of the guests. I also have uh, former New York State Senator Tom Duane, who's going to be on the show as well. Uh, he actually would like to be in studio here, so he'll be able to see what the new studio is going to look like. And maybe, you know. Wow, a brush with greatness. <laughs> so we're going to uh, move on to our first guest. By the way, before uh, we do, I hate to interrupt yes, you, yes, but yes. I just want to be sure that uh, they have the phone number fresh in their minds. because. And what was it? And that number is... 516-620-3602. The 620-3602 part is easy because it's the same backwards and forwards. Wait, three? <laughs> okay, you got, you got me, James. 620-3602. <laughs> you are, you, James always cracks me up. So we're going to uh, get our first guest on the line and be able to go to him and uh, talk a little more about uh, how the mayor is doing within his first week, uh, in his first week, uh, because it was one week ago that he announced that uh, Mayor de Blasio is going to be seeking the Democratic nomination uh, for president. So he became the 24th. Uh, candidate to make this announcement. And uh, this is obviously, uh, uh, this has raised a lot of concerns among a number of New Yorkers. According to the coverage you read in New York City, there are others who are saying, you know what, the mayor should go for it. He should take a shot at this. Uh, It's something if he feels that he is uh, a message that resonates across the country, then this is something that he should pursue. Uh, But then when Quinnipiac came out with its poll, uh, you know, it ranked uh, as far as favorability for the 2020 Democratic candidates, uh, you know, de Blasio came in at uh, at eight uh, percent and right above him, like jumping much higher uh, was Pete uh, Buttigieg, Buttigieg. I will say it right at 23 percent. Um, and then Cory Booker at 23% as well, the highest as our listeners probably can expect because he's had a lot of uh, seeming momentum in the last few weeks was uh, Joe Biden at 49%, followed by someone who Celeste and I really want to have on this show, and we're going to be very dogged. I've told you about Celeste being very dogged when it comes to this, is Bernie Sanders. So if you are listening, Senator Sanders, please give us a call, 212 so we are going to be in a few moments trying to get uh, our first guest, Nolan Hicks, on the line. Nolan, if you're listening, we're trying to get through to you to be able to get you on here. Uh, and Nolan, uh, uh, so Celeste, you've worked with Nolan. Uh, 
Yeah, actually, I did. I worked with Nolan at the New York Daily News. He's over at the Post right now, and he was traveling with the mayor uh, through, I believe it was Iowa, South Carolina, and, uh, you know, really got an, an up-close uh, view of of what uh, Mayor de Blasio looked like, you know, strolling through the uh, the great Midwest and the, uh, the South and trying to make a case that, well, I don't know, I suppose we'll hear from some of our callers later that uh, he is the best guy to knock Donald Trump out of the White House because he knows him on his own turf. Now, whether you think that's true or not, Maybe a, a different story, but I will be very, very interested to find out what uh, Nolan thinks. And I did enjoy reading, uh, not only reading his stories, but reading some of his tweets about what was going on there, I uh, was out there. tracking that today. Yeah. I was going back through a number of his tweets. He, he's like you, Celeste. He's a prolific tweeter. Uh, but he, I will say he's much more measured than our president. <laughs> that's, that's a stretch, I'm sure. Um, so uh, we were talking at the outset about what the studio is going to be like down the hall. Uh, I, I heard, you know, it's the reason, and I'm, I want to apologize to our listeners that I was a little bit late for the start of the program, but I was on my way here and I ran into a guy and he just would not stop talking to me about Jeff Simmons doing this very, very special Pride program that's going to have so many excellent guests, including, including Barney Frank. So, you know, I, I really try to be here on time and sometimes these people just, you know, the fans... Jeff, it's a thing. I apologize. I apologize to everybody. So that brings us to our first guest. As we've been talking to you, uh, talking with you about uh, the mayor announced last week, so we are very excited to be able to have uh, Nolan Hicks join us on Driving Forces today. Nolan, welcome to the show. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? All right. So. I didn't get to do, when I was a reporter, I didn't get to do a, na- a presidential campaign. As I mentioned before on the show, I was like wi- uh, combating with uh, Celeste because she was a reporter <laughs> and I was handling the campaign for David Patterson and Elliot Spitzer. So enough I, to put somebody I only, off campaign. I only forever, got to go sure. statewide. Tell us a little about what it was like in these first days following Mayor de Blasio uh, out of state on the campaign. It was... It was a lot. It was exhilarating. It was tiring. It was an opportunity to go see parts of the country that are significantly different from New York. And it's an opportunity to see sort of, you know, how city politicians and how city politics play outside of the five boroughs. So it's a fascinating sort of experiment. And and I was really thrilled to be part of it. Um, You know, all the logistical challenges aside, and there were many of them. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's always, I remember, I think my first campaign was probably, my first campaign on the road, I'll say, because, you know, here I am dating myself, but probably I think I got to Iowa on Christmas Day 2007, and just, I remember, like, driving in an ice storm to Cedar Rapids, and then trying to drive back in the middle of the night, and just being like, where, you know, just trying to get to, like, can I really get to Mason City and an hour and a half. I can't, but I'm going to try. I just, yeah. it's, it is, it is grueling. It is grueling out there. Uh, how did, how did uh, the mayor seem to be holding up? Uh, obviously he probably has a, you know, a couple of guys to, uh, to help him out while everyone else is making uh, fending for themselves. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the mayor's lucky. He has a driver uh, and a staff. Uh, the reporters don't, we, we do the best we can. And it is grueling. I mean, you know, every day starts at seven thirty or eight o'clock. And there were a lot of days where the last event would be, I think in Iowa they had an event at Sioux City that started at 7.30 
All right. And then we were driving all the way back to Des Moines that night to get on a flight very early the next morning. We didn't get back to the hotel until close to midnight. And then you have to be at the airport at five in the morning to get on the plane to go to South Carolina. That's just sort of like as an example of, you know, the sort of the, the pace and the, the, the strenuousness of, of the adventure of the campaign trail. And as far as how he's uh, how he's doing on the trail, I was curious. I did, and I did see. I read the coverage, but I also saw some of the photos of you guys. Uh, you know, having a scrum with him and and uh, checking out his new not dad jeans. I believe I could be mistaken about this, but I was just curious. The wardrobe was upgraded. Yeah, was, yeah. He said. Well, he said it was time for an upgrade. I can be, <laughs> again correct me if I'm wrong, but he said if anybody was in need of a makeover, it was him. Well, he said it was. It was. It was actually a little more self deprecating than that. The line was something to the effect of. It would be pointless to try to give me a makeover, but my sort of the, the joke was the staff has done the best that they can um, with with the material there, and, and everyone sort of got a good laugh out of that. Um, Does yeah, he seem no, like the was, same guy, like when he's in Iowa or South Carolina, running for president, as he does in New York, being for mayor, or different guy? He is. Um, our interactions with him on the campaign trail are fairly limited. The way it's sort of you know an event will start, you'll get to get in for a few minutes, and then we'll all get you know, told to, to go, and then we sort of wait for the scrum and, and the readout afterwards. Um, so the comparison points are, to me, sort of the gaggles and his reaction to the gaggles. And he is a much, seemingly a much happier person, a visibly happy person, taking questions from reporters in these gaggles on the campaign trail uh, in a way that he's not sort of doing press conferences here in the city. You know- he gets to get out of the city. He gets to talk about national issues, which he... He just visibly enjoys doing. He gets to reframe his record in New York for a national audience, which is often very impressed by achievements like pre-K, by achievements, you know, by passing legislation that guarantees paid leave, by his push to increase the minimum wage and things like that. And he doesn't have to face a lot of the same questions that he gets here in New York about other matters or about the execution on some of those policies. And in fact, that's where I was just about to go to, because I could imagine when the New York City press corps is following him there, there are certain issues at home that you, you know, you're getting that opportunity to ask for folks back home who might be working on them. But when you're standing side by side with reporters in South Carolina or Iowa, what are they asking him about? What are the, you know, pointed questions they're asking? Are they focused on issues that we're thinking of here that, uh, you know, about how much his security detail is costing or, you know, about NYCHA? Or are you seeing them asking more of the substantive things that are more national in scope they're asking much more about national issues and you know the presidency is a national office and that makes sense and so you have two different sets of questions from two you know different groups of reporters serving two very different audiences um you know there'll be a press conference you know in in columbia south carolina he met a group of uh working class families who you know are, are, are struggling to pay their rents Know, talked about his affordable housing plan, was able to take some questions from the local press corps about his affordable housing plan, which don't have sort of the same, you know, sort of the same efficacy questions attached to them that they do here, where he gets to talk about spending lots of money to preserve housing, and he gets to talk about the importance of new federal programs to help people stay in their homes and so on and so forth. Whereas here, you talk about affordable housing, and you get questions about you're preserving housing. Are we building enough housing? What about the housing that you are in charge of as mayor, which makes you the guy who runs NYCHA, which 
is something that we've you know written about ad nauseum. The right, which is sort of exactly yeah. where I wanted to go. You know, you're talking yeah. about uh, housing equity and issues of fairness and addressing, uh, you know, maybe uh, the minimum wage, a national increase right. in the minimum wage and so on. Were there people, because you know, people in Iowa and people in New Hampshire know what's going on. And sometimes seeing a candidate three times may be enough. They'd prefer five, but okay. So these are people who are very, very used to, to making assessments of these candidates. Are they asking him those kind of questions like, well, why is the federal government involved in your public housing? Why, uh, what happened to your plan no. to eliminate pedestrian deaths in New York City? Uh, no. Not just, it's, it's more, it's more. Uh, yeah, they're, they're sort of feeling out the positions on the issues right mm -hmm. now. This mm -hmm. was his first, I saw him in New Hampshire when he was still testing the waters. And then I saw him in Iowa just after he announced and it's he, I think, has a pretty good idea of where he wants to go in terms of like policy and platform. They are trying to get a sense of that. They're trying to get a sense of him. And those efficacy questions haven't really shown up yet. And one thing I noticed from your coverage was he's also kind of good at the pivot. And he's also experienced at some of these stops, some resistance. Uh, there was one that if you could just uh, shed some light on this, uh, where you, I guess, were in the room when there was a retired school teacher who schooled him. Yeah. So he's in uh, at a library in Columbia, South Carolina. It's the third or the fourth question of the event. And she stands up and sort of does in a way that, you know, we, we probably we all, you know, whenever we got into trouble in, in school, just says, you know, I've had enough of the name calling knock it off um and, and it was a moment uh it was sort of one of the very few moments on the campaign trail that we were able to observe because before south carolina and even in south carolina again we were mostly kept away from the actual events themselves and were only able to sort of talk to the participants in you know sort of gaggled after the fact and uh so it it, it had this this resonance to it because the mayor announces his campaign on Thursday, comes out with this nickname for the president, uh, you know, Con Don. Don, yeah, Con Don, um, and it, which, you know, it, it doesn't exactly, you know, which is what it is. And what is it is and, the question? Well, I would have I mean, done it, Don it, the Con. Yeah, right. but, the, but see, need... but then you get into a you know then you get into a, a copyright suit with like Mario Puzo or something. I don't I don't know. It's a that could be a problem there. But but okay, no, so, I mean, he's, so he's but, he's but doing Don this. Does have a better does have a better flow to it than than Con Don does. Um, I used to work then, at the New York the... Post too. That's how I know this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. See, if there's one thing New York tabloids are good at is coming up with Bob <laughs> nicknames. But um, yeah, I mean it, it it was it was really interesting because he sits there and he announces and in his in his video, you know, sort of two parts, right? You sort of have you know, sort of, and in his campaign announcement, you sort of have these two parts. One, where he lays out his accomplishments here in the city, you know, obviously in the most favorable of lights, and that's his right as a politician. And then he turns around and pivots and, and attacks the president, you know, for all of his business and ethical and, and all the other sort of alleged improprieties. And you have this moment where, and there's, you can tell that there's sort of a little bit of a frustration in the room um, with this woman and with some of the people who are hearing this because, it, it just doesn't, I think, sort of square with what they want American politics to be. Does that make sense? That there's sort of still this idea. And in, in, in both of the – one was a local politician, a, a county councilwoman, 
And the other was, uh, you know, a longtime party activist has gone to party conventions, is active in the party, comes to all the meetings. And, and I think that they have sort of a slightly more aspirational view of American politics. And that's sort of coupled with a, a pragmatic, what are you going to do for me view of American politics? So sort of of the, uh, you know, to, to, to sort of frame it, this is going to sound stupid, but sort of, you'll, you know, inspire me and tell me how you're going to make my life better, sort of Bobby Kennedyism of politics, and not so much sort of the, the, like, down in the trenches and, like, attack is answered with attack, is answered with attack, is answered with attack, which is sort of how the, the early days of this campaign seem to sort of be playing out between the president and his two dozen Democratic challengers. If you're just joining us, this is Driving Forces on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. We are talking to Nolan Hicks of the New York Post about the, uh, I'm going to say long shot, long shot campaign for president of Mayor Bill de Blasio. And uh, Nolan, I'm just curious, going back to what you were saying about Look, people in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, they have seen this movie before. So I think it's pretty understandable that if they start, you know, feeling like they're getting platitudes, that they're not really getting answers, you know, you can understand that that they wouldn't have a problem speaking up about that. What I'm curious about is how he handled it. How do you think de Blasio handled being challenged in that kind of environment? He, to just take it back to the South Carolina example, the Columbia example, he acknowledged the criticism and then turned around and sort of, and, and, and I'm just sort of, because, you know, we were sort of, you know, this is day three of the trip, and to get back to sort of the grueling piece of it, you know, I mean, like, it all starts running together. But she, you know, provides the criticism, and the mayor sort of comes back with a pivot where he says, we're here because we're talking about working people and the only way to take on Donald Trump. He, does, he, he acknowledges the criticism, but he doesn't sort of back away from this inclination to, to punch at the president, you know, the effectiveness of the punches to be determined. Right. Or, or whether or not he actually answered the question that he was asked. And to be right. in, well, in, see, fa- in fairness, really, a lot of, you know, it was this a is critique. A, it wasn't really a question, though. Right. I mean, right. It was sort of like, here are my thoughts and my feelings. Like, and, and his response was basically, I hear you. I understand you. You know, we need to. It, it, he, he has this refrain, right, which he's used to sort of at different times sort of implicitly go after the, the former president, Barack Obama, and the, and, and the former secretary of state, Hillary Clinton, which is that it's sort of in his mind, the Democratic Party somehow got away from being the party of the working class and the middle class in the country. And he sees his accomplishments in New York as a platform by, to take to struggling communities in South Carolina, struggling communities in New Hampshire, struggling communities in Iowa, and sell them on the idea that government and policy intervention can make their lives better on a daily basis. And he points to pre-K and he points to the higher wage and all the other things we've, we've basically outlined. Um, and, so, and that's sort of his, his, his argument there. It's sort of like, yeah, I know I'm punching at him, but there is substance here, and that substance should counteract the fact that this is, you know, sort of, you know, attack answered with attack. And no one's sort of rising to, you know, sort of the, the, the aspirational view of American politics is offered by, you know, sort of that, that, that one found in the 60s and that was sort of, you know, brought back through you know, the initial Barack Obama campaign in 2008. So so to that end, then going back to one of the what seems to be one of the major themes, at least of the launch and probably throughout the campaign, that essentially yeah. there's a lot of money in America. It's just not distributed fairly enough. And I'm the guy to fix that. Does that seem to be, how did people take to that yeah. message? Um, there he in every event that we got to see. We heard that line. Sort of every time he talked to voters, he would bring out that line. 
And he played the line two different ways. In Sioux City, when he was talking to a small group of voters, part of the, the Truman Caucus out there, he sort of used it on the front end of his remarks and then used it to explain all of his accomplishments beforehand. And the room didn't really eat it up. When he goes to South Carolina, he's speaking at a church. It's early in the morning. It's in Charleston. It's a historic, uh, historically black congregation at the Ebenezer AME Church. He lays out what he views as his accomplishments as mayor, focusing on, on pre-K and minimum wage and all the rest of that, and then turns around and says that, you know, that they're able to pay for this because they've decided here in New York that we have the resources to do what needs to be done to help working folks. And... Uh, and, and, and the line got a much better reception. Uh, uh, you know, Andy at Channel 4 joked that it was sort of like, instead of opening with Freebird, he sort of closed with Freebird, and I think there's something to it. We sort of <laughs> built, built into the line, instead of just having the line there and then trying to sort of backfill it, mm-hmm. and, and it played a lot better in the room. It, I mean, obviously, yeah. these are two totally different audiences. Yeah, you plus, have, uh, you can't always get what you white want. audience in Iowa, a very black audience in South Carolina, right. and, and the politics of Iowa and South Carolina are obviously different, but like, it was interesting to watch the rooms react you know, sort of almost in, in diametrically opposed fashion to the use of the line just by where he stuck it in the speech. So uh, given your reporting this week about the uh, homelessness crisis here in the city, you know, that uh, the home- homelessness is down for the first time in a decade, do you think that is going to be a talking point for him now moving ahead or it, just in certain states or communities? Well, I mean, it, w- it would have to sort of come up as an issue. Um Right, someone, I think someone would have to broach it. I don't think homelessness is an issue that the mayor is going to broach on his own volition because the numbers are still significantly higher than when he became mayor. Um, but any little bit of good news is probably a good piece of news for his campaign. And the fact that the homeless shelter populations dropped from 61,000 down to 58,000, you know, it's not a monumental decline, but it shows that after this is the fourth or the fifth year of the crisis, and after spending billions of dollars on it, it seems like the city is finally sort of, at least sort of keeping the problem from getting worse and maybe even slowly starting to get ahead of it a little bit, which would be, you know, a, a fantastic thing for New Yorkers who are uh, you know, suffering great misfortune and are stuck on the streets and, and a great thing for, for quality of life for everyone else who lives in the city. Did you get a sense, just having covered de Blasio before, uh, when he was running for public, not only for mayor, but for public advocate, and I believe even for speaker of the city council, I am really dating myself here. Um, <laughs> did you, it's just as bad, uh, you know, he's always made his family a, a pretty a pretty important part of the campaign, and that's, I don't think that's been lost on a lot of people uh, locally. Uh, what do you expect, uh, how do you expect that to play out on a national stage? Uh, I expect them to, uh, I, when I say them, I mean him and the First Lady, I expect mm-hmm. them to travel together and travel together quite often. Uh, he views her as a tremendous political asset. When he started speaking at the uh, Ebenezer AME in South Carolina, he's opening his remarks. And one of his opening lines was, I bring greetings from the First Lady of the city of New York. She's sorry she can't be here, but she will be coming here. You know, and that there was sort of like this, this, you know, this, this effort to keep her front and center, um, I think, because they see her, and, and he said as much, you know, when he was running for mayor in 2013. If you go back and pull the clips, whether it was, you know, when you're, whether it was you writing the story at the news or uh, someone writing the story at the Times, like, he's been pretty open about the fact that he views his wife as a tremendous political asset, 
uh, that they're a team, that they work together, and that they're both going to be out there campaigning and hitting the stump. And he views her as a ticket, you know, into communities that may not typically be receptive to a six foot five tall, you know, white guy from New York City. And you know, I, I think there, I think there's something to that. Sherlane is, is very popular. Uh, with African-American voters here in the city. Uh, Bill de Blasio is very popular with African-American voters here in the city. It's one of the voting blocks in the city that has stuck with him despite all of his challenges in recent years. Um, you know, if you look at the recent polling numbers, he's, you know, underwater by 20 or 30 points with white voters in the city, but African-American voters still support him by a 60 to 30 margin, which, you know, has kept his polling numbers, you know, they're not great, but, you know, 45% approval, sort of, you know, in the, in the flat line. I mean, if, if it, 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 it's really interesting to watch the, the dynamic play out there. And what do you see as sort of the, I mean, look, it's, it's really unlikely, I think it's fair to say, probably unlikely-ish that uh, Bill de Blasio will be the next president of the United States, only in part, you know, there's not a long history of that ever happening. In fact, I believe there's no history of that happening. Um, I have seen at least one other person. I followed uh, Rudy Giuliani's campaign for uh, president mm-hmm. for the Republican nomination in 2008. And uh, going from mayor of New York to the White House is just not something that happens. But sometimes people make these runs as a, a sort of a test balloon, uh, there's no really such thing as running for vice president, but some people are running for vice president. You know, what uh, What do you see as the long game here? Is he running to win? Is he running to introduce himself more to the country? What What's going on? I, I think it's a little bit of all of the above. I don't think he would have jumped in the race if he hadn't convinced himself that there is some shot, no matter how small or outside the chance might be, that this maybe really could happen. Um, and I think he also sort of views it as a no-lose proposition. He's a termed-out mayor. Uh, you know, wh- where do you go from there? I mean, do you, you can't you run for governor of New York. Andrew Cuomo looks like he might run for a fourth term. You can't, you know, do you want to be the mayor of New York, challenges Andrew Cuomo in the primary? That, that, that's going to be a nasty fight. Um, so sort of like what, what's next for Bill de Blasio, right? And how does running for president somehow hurt that question? And, and I don't think that it does. So he looks at it, he sees it as a, a no-lose situation. Um, and, and I think that, that, that I, I think he thinks he has a chance. I think he thinks there's not much of a downside. And I think he views it as getting to talk about issues that he really cares about, um, and in and, and a friendlier form than he has here in New York. And I also think he views it a bit as an attempt to recast his legacy a little bit here in the city. He's endured mm-hmm. uh, some tough coverage in the city papers over you know, the last two or three years because of the, the spate of campaign fundraising, uh, you know, nonprofit fundraising, uh, you know, questions about you know, pay for play at City Hall and, and all those other all those other things. It's led for two or three years, and plus NYCHA. Uh, and it's led for two or three years of some really tough coverage. And I think he gets to go into these forums and he gets to talk about what he views are his real accomplishments in the city without, you know, without, you know, sort of the, the instant reflexive in New York. You say X, what about Y? And, 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 and I think he really enjoys that. 
So, Nolan, we're going to have to wrap up in a moment. Uh, as far as the uh, your future coverage, uh, will we expect to see you traveling across the country still trailing the mayor? I, I go where my editors point me. <laughs> I'll never forget the post sending me out to, not for a campaign, but out to Kingman, Arizona, where I stayed in a hotel that was like 1999, and I got a free can of beer uh, to track down Tim- <laughs> Timothy McVeigh's trailer park neighbors. Uh, so they they did reimburse me for the 1999. Uh, so I wish you luck on the campaign trail. How can people learn more about you and follow you and find out what you're up to? Well, uh, I'm on Twitter probably too much. Um, so you can follow me there and, uh, you know, pick up a copy of the, the post in the morning. Um, we work our butts off every day covering the city and, and we do some pretty good work. And your Twitter, really ha- work. And your Twitter handle is N-D-H-A-P-P-L-E. That is a long story that I shan't explain, but yes. <laughs> Nolan, thank you so much for joining Celeste Katz and me, Jeff Simmons here on Driving Forces. Thanks for having me. You're listening to WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz. I'm the bad one. Here with Jeff Simmons. He's the good one. (laughs) And uh, we have another guest coming up very shortly to talk a little bit more about uh, this uh, brand new uh, campaign by Mayor Bill de Blasio to become the next president of the United States, a subway series, if you will. Uh, which, frankly, being a reporter in New York, you always want one of those. What, de Blasio versus Trump, yeah? Oh, talking Subway series, I'm thinking of two New Yorkers. I'm thinking of Kristen Gillibrand, who we would love to have on the show, too. But look, I mean, this is... Like I, I'm, I'm one of the, I'm one of the many, one of the many known geniuses who was completely convinced I was going to be covering Hillary Clinton versus Rudy Giuliani in mm. 2008, and uh, we had that Subway series all. Uh, yeah, I shouldn't have gotten that tattoo, but and, oh well. And it's interesting. It's interesting <laughs> talking about with uh, Nolan about the access to the candidates, you know, uh, because I see, you know, having worked with David Patterson, not on a presidential, but having worked with him, he would stop and talk with almost any reporter. And uh, especially, one, you, one, especially one of, you. One of the many reasons uh, I enjoyed covering him. But but I also know from, you know, covering uh, being on that campaign trail. Uh, you know, what it was like seeing Hillary on the campaign trail as well and Andrew Cuomo in the campaign right. trail, you know, and the type of access or limited access someone has. And I feel like even when you're traveling to another state, you know, uh, as the mayor and the New York City press corps is following you, you know, you also are on guard because you feel as if, OK, they're going to be focusing a lot on the issues, you know, back home as well. I'm going to get hit not just on national, but all the local stuff. Yeah. And this is look and people can say this about New York reporters parachuting into Iowa or uh, New Hampshire or, or Nevada or wherever it may be that we are coming from somewhere else. We're just stopping by with our own ideas and our own experience or lack thereof. And we do not know all the uh, all the nuances of what's going on uh, in the city or in the state. Right. By the same token, look, it, it makes perfect sense that uh, uh a guy, an elected official from New York or New Jersey or wherever, going to Iowa or New Hampshire, wants to talk to reporters in Iowa and New Hampshire about Iowa and New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. You do not go to Des Moines to talk about how New York has a rat problem. 
Oh, yeah, we didn't even get to that yet. But we should get to the next <laughs> we guest who's we on should. the line. We should. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, we are uh, happy to say that our next guest is uh, Ivan Pereira. He is a lifelong New Yorker. He's been reporting on the city since 2006. Covered Southeast Queens for the Times-Ledger uh, from 2007 to 2012. He worked for the New York Times as well. And since 2012, he has covered politics and general news for AM New York. So, Ivan, awesome to have you on the show. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, so I know you've covered a lot of different stuff at AM New York. You've covered, uh, you know, uh, Mayor Bloomberg's, uh, the soda ban or the, the ill-fated mm. soda ban, uh, Superstorm Sandy, what happened after that, uh, NYCHA, uh, mismanagement at NYCHA, uh, the Amazon, the, the non-starter Amazon deal, and right. so on. But, uh, you know, right now we are looking at Bill de Blasio, and we're sort of doing a, a little bit of a, a flip side here. We were just talking to uh, Nolan Hicks from The Post about being on the road. Uh, with him as a presidential candidate. And you wrote a story that I found very interesting about basically like who's running the show when he's not here. So tell us a little bit about about that and how, how that's working out. Right. Well, under the, the city rules, um, the first deputy mayor is technically in charge when, uh, when the, you know, when de Blasio is out campaigning and the first deputy mayor is Dean um, Flanahan. Um, hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, and so far from what people have seen, you know, Flanahan's been a pretty, um, you know, pretty experienced guy. He's been in New York politics, you know, for over 40 years. He used to be the Assembly's main um, budget guru. He worked directly under Sheldon Silver. And uh, he's been with, you know, de Blasio, mission, uh, de Blasio for the last five years now. Um, he's a very, you know, behind-the-scenes guy. He doesn't do a lot of press conferences or, or like, public appearances, but he's generally in charge of a lot of agencies, um, school construction, um, office of budget, um, um, the resiliency office. So he's, he's got a lot of tools under his belt and experience. So, you know, whenever de Blasio is away in Iowa or South Carolina, he's generally just, you know, making sure that all these meetings are happening, all the negotiations are going on behind the scenes. And, Pretty, running, you know, running a tight ship while um, de Blasio's out. And look, naturally, the uh, the mayor does have to go out of town, or you know, occasionally should get a vacation or take a nap or something. But I mean, this is uh, <laughs> uh, depending on on how long he lasts in the primary season. Uh, this this could involve quite a bit of absence from the city. Is this um, uh, you know, is this something that people have expressed any concern about? Like, what about your day job? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, when he, when the you know kind of the um, first uh, you know inklings that he was running for uh, president were going around the last couple of months. You know, everyone has just been saying, well, what about Nitro? You still have to have the, uh, the the monitor there. What about you know the measles outbreak? What about this, that, and all these other issues that are still ongoing? Um, I'm sure you know if the mayor you know the mayor has thought about this and discussed it with all his department heads. Um, but yeah, generally from from a lot of New Yorkers we've seen both you know online and, and on the streets, they're kind of you know a little bit wondering why he's not uh, making having more of a focus on some of the um, pressing issues here in the city. And um, Ivan, we've also been talking a little about the Quinnipiac University poll that just came out this Tuesday. Can you talk a little about what you found to be the most interesting elements of this, other than the main takeaway about the you know small percentage of those who had a favorable opinion of the mayor? Mm-hmm. Well, the one thing that um, I thought was interesting was that when they ran about his favorability rating, um, you know, he had a little, he had a higher unfavorability rating with about 45 percent, but he had a larger percentage of people who just straight up don't know who he is, 48 percent. Um, and um, that was higher than a lot of other candidates, um, the Colorado, um, you know, 
There's 24 candidates, as you mentioned before, but he seemed to have a little bit higher than some of those lower-ranked candidates. Um, and I think that's something that his campaign is going to be looking into as they go forward campaigning around the country. There's a lot of folks who just probably know him from, you know, jokes on Brooklyn Nine-Nine or The Simpsons and, you know, little things here and there. So they don't really know about his policies. Um, he's probably going to use that to advantage and just, you know, lay out all the things he's done in the last couple of years, you know, universal pre-K, um, um, you know, uh, fighting income inequality, you know, the, the environmental plan he just put out. So, um it's, he's got, you know, one thing that at least his campaign taken advantage of is that notion that there's more people who don't know about him than hate him. Interesting. Well, so in a, I mean, in a, so in a sense, that is, that is kind of interesting. I mean, in a sense, it's 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 kind of a bummer. I mean, look, Joe Biden has almost, I think, universal name ID. Mm-hmm. But when people don't know you, you get to create yourself, your image, uh, with with a perhaps a. A, so- a softer, uh, a softer brush than uh, than you might otherwise. If uh, if you had a very long uh, and well known record, um, do you get the sense that uh, uh, there is excitement around in within City Hall? Like, do you clearly there's supposed to be a separation, of course, between the the campaign and the uh, the government operations? But uh, what do you hear from people, say in government, or even just you know, people that you've talked to about, like? Would it be cool if our mayor became president of the United States? Like, that really stick it to Donald Trump? Well, you know, it's funny. The, the, the kind of sense I've gotten from, you know, um, other City Hall players in the last couple of days is they're kind of seeing this as an advantage. I mean, the other day, um, Corey Johnson, who's going to be – who's already around his mayoral run, put out a press conference, you know, kind of denouncing this rise in anti-Semitic activity. And he was, you know, really kind of – you know, filling that void where de Blasio would have some of these kind of press conferences. And, you know, he was asked, like, do you feel there's a, you know, there's a problem with him being out? And he kind of pivoted and said, well, you know, we've got a lot of good people here. I'm out here. I'm, you know, I was out Saturday. I was doing this, this and that. And, um, you know, you, you might be seeing a lot more of the, um, you know, council members you know, uh, and, and major players who are trying to take advantage of this and make their profiles higher. So um, they're not trying – there's not a lot of kind of um, – sort of say, like, bad-mouthing or, like, you know, snickering behind the back, but there's a lot more kind of, well, here's what I'm doing. Here's, you know, I'm going to take, you know, the reins here on this issue, whether it be, you know, homelessness or the subways, and and kind of give my take on it. What I find so interesting is about how early Corey Johnson has come out to, uh, uh, has come out as far as running for mayor. Uh, And, you know, I feel like we're immersed now in the presidential, especially locally with two candidates locally running and now all of a sudden it's shifting i mean i could just imagine what your daily life is going to be like now going between de blasio presidential and then the mayor's race you got a lot on your plate yeah i know it's 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 never you know just because the way the news cycle is working it's never too early to start you know making that making those appearances and getting the the crowds riled up um clearly um Corey Johnson has, you know, is confident in, in announcing his plans and, and moving forward with it. Um, you know, he hasn't been kind of really um, ringing that bell, you know, making reminding people about the mayoral run, but he's been subtly just kind of, um, you know, again, filling that void whenever there's um, an issue coming out and, and showing people, you know, as he is as a speaker, his leadership qualities. 
It is interesting, though, and just goes back uh, to something Jeff pointed out a moment ago when I made this this little joke about a subway series. It, you know, uh, De Blasio is not the only New York game in town. Obviously, we have uh, Kirsten Gillibrand. We have uh, not too far away, obviously, uh, uh, Cory Booker, uh, New Jersey. This is not the sort of uh, he doesn't quite have the, the the market all tied up here in terms of and uh, I and the, I also like to say metro area. Bernie Sanders because of his Brooklyn connections. So correct, I'll him correct. In there too. Big, Big kickoff at at Brooklyn College, which we carried live here on WBAI New York. But uh, so I guess, Ivan, my question is, like, what what is your sense of the way he's delivering the message about why he's the guy? You know, what what, what is it about him that's that's, you know, the real the real selling points? Being mayor well, of New York, it's like, yeah, maybe you have a, a, an economy, you know, the size of like some small countries. Fine. But what is the why? Why does it have to be him? I guess. Well, I guess his sense is that, you know, um, you know, they, New York has already put him in the spotlight and, you know, he didn't, you know, come into, a, into an administration that had a whole bunch of problems as, as previous mayors did. But he kind of, you know, is playing up the fact that he came in as the underdog, you know, came in from like the, um, you know, the, the voice of, the, you know, the, his whole tale of two cities. He's really has, you know, he's playing up his um, his persona of, of being someone with the ear on the ground and really listening to the regular people versus you know um, you know a billionaire or or um, someone who spends half time in Washington, um, not too different from Mayor uh, from Mayor uh, Buttigieg, um, but mm. in a sense you know he's kind of playing that game on a bigger um, kind of scale. Using the like you said the New York um, the New York icon. I mean his video you know had just all these shots of. Um, you know the skyline, um, using New York as a character in, in, um, in his kind of campaign video. So, um, you know, as the saying goes, if I can make it here, I can make it anywhere. And he's kind of riding on that sentiment into the you know campaign trail. That's kind of a nice way of putting it. <laughs> the question is if he can make it there, or if he can make it anywhere. It's uh, it is again just uh, not uh, not uh, specific to him, but uh, a sitting mayor of New York City has never gone on to become president of the United mm-hmm. States. So it's a, it's a, it's a reach. It's a reach. It's a hard one. Well, that's the, that's, that's the other thing, too. Now, when, when he was asked about the, the poll numbers the other day, he kind of played the fact that when he ran in 2013, he was, you know, the underdog and, and you, know, pe- you know, Christine Quinn was kind of the, uh, you know, the, the, the short bet in some people's minds, but he came up and, and won it. So he's, you know, he, he's playing up that underdog aspect a lot. And, uh, you know, with, with the low poll numbers, I think he, he, I'm sure he probably was like, you know, I can use this to my advantage. I've done it before. Um, and, uh, you know, it's all part of his message. Absolutely. And so, uh, uh, Ivan, where can people read uh, more of your work? Because I'm definitely going to. And uh, where can they find you on social for your uh, your tweets and stuff? Uh, well, definitely, you know, pick up an AM New York from our, our very hardworking uh, hawkers and on the red box. Uh, also, amny.com has all of our um, articles as they happen. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Ivan, P-E-R, the number four. Um, I apologize in advance for all the Simpsons tweets I put out half the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this, is, this is all the more reason to follow you on Twitter. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Ivan Pereira of AM New York. It's been a pleasure to have you here on Driving Forces. Thanks again for inviting me. Thanks. Um, great. So uh, very interesting. Two very interesting takes from uh, two good New York reporters about uh, about uh, the next president of the United States.
Yeah, I know that this poll was only in the first few days since right, uh, right. the mayor announced. I'm really looking forward to seeing what the next one is. Now that we're seeing, you know, more coverage of him having entered the race. Right. Uh, also, I'm I checked out some of the Iowa papers online where I could yeah. access it where I wasn't blocked because I needed to pay, um, and you know, just to follow the coverage. And you know, it's it's so interesting to watch how New York City will cover you know, the mayor versus what the issues are that are being raised uh, in the other jurisdictions. No, absolutely. And I think that it works both ways, too. When you go to uh, when you go out to, uh, I don't know, South Carolina or something to, to Columbia or you go to to a, a rally in Berlin, New Hampshire or something like this, you know, to the New York reporters for the first time, it's like, wow, this is really cool and different and I you know but I mean first of all the reporters up there if you if you're a reporter for of any length of time for like the Des Moines Registered or the the Manchester Union Leader or the Concord Monitor one of these things it's like yeah okay you have you know you have definitely seen every you know every season of this show and this is not like wow whoopee presidential candidate comes to town it's just like okay you know, can I get this wrapped up before lunch? I'm impressed that you know all the papers. You so want that's... me to go on? Okay. <laughs> you can get it down to like the weekly shopper. You all I know, know that. Well, yeah, but you know, but actually you do get good listings. No, no. Those. I would know that in my hometown of right. uh, Washington Township, right. New Jersey, uh, I want to call it community mm-hmm. life because I, del- I was a newspaper delivery boy. Uh, in my youth, it was called the penny saver. <laughs> but, but Okay. That was, yeah. And it, and it was printed on vellum. I've made that joke before, but it still holds up. So I know we've got only a few minutes left, but yes. there are certain things I do want to do and, okay. and the, you know I know the most important is fundraising we have to get to that but I do not want to yes. lose sight of the fact that for those of you listening right now if you are up overnight till tomorrow morning you will be able to hear bright and early I think before dawn I'm not sure uh, Celeste will be on the air tomorrow morning tell us a little about that Oh, yeah, we are. Uh, actually, I'm uh, going to be helping out. We're going to be having a two hour special edition of Waking Up. Uh, Juliana Forlano is uh, uh, out for a couple of days, taking a well-deserved break from the uh, the excitement here. And uh, she will be back on Tuesday. So uh, Friday and Monday from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. I'll be on the air with you for uh, Waking Up. And we're going to have some really good guests both days. Uh, I'll just uh, uh, tomorrow, for example, we will have Rick Klein, who's the political director of ABC News. We'll have uh, Brian Rosenthal, the New York Times, talking about his expose on the exploitation of uh, of taxi drivers, of immigrant taxi drivers, and their loans. Uh, we'll have Greg B. Smith from the city uh, talking about uh, uh, de Blasio's New York, I'll put it that way. And uh, finally, we'll have Kerry Pickett of SiriusXM with uh, an update on, uh, on Congress and Washington. And Greg Smith, I mean, I go back with him and his wife for quite some time. Greg Smith has had a lot of the leading coverage on NYCHA and city and public housing in the city. I think Greg Smith was the coverage of NYCHA. Yeah. And I just no disrespect to any other reporter, but I mean, I worked with the guy with, you know, for years at the news and just like relentless, relentless, but helped a lot of people, exposed a lot of really bad stuff and uh, really changed, really changed New York. And he recently at the city where he is right now, he exposed a number of uh, or highlighted a number of issues regarding the mayor's fundraising. Right. And he uh, I think we'll we'll probably be getting into that again. De Blasio, de Blasio's New York and de Blasio's Iowa and de Blasio's South Carolina. Um, but I, definitely these are these are all people uh, certainly in their own way who uh, know national politics and New York politics and the intersection. So uh, 
Friday morning, uh, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern. Looking forward to uh, being on the air with you for uh, Waking Up Friday and for a special Memorial Day edition as well on Monday. And if you, uh, before you go to sleep tonight, it would be wonderful, if, you know, if you want to uh, keep Celeste in this job, if you could make a little donation <laughs> at 516-620-3602 because as James and I were talking about before, we're getting close to that 10000 We're less than $3,000 away in the More Than Mike's campaign uh, the studio was even locked today because it is getting closer. Yeah, I heard it's you. looking I know, much I know, better. I know you like to hang out in there and sort of admire the progress from week to week, which is real, which is very real. So if you if you want to uh, help get us across that finish line, 516-620-3602, 516-620-3602. Give us a call. Do it now. Only takes a minute. Uh, you can do it uh, online as well, WBAI.org. Just look for the donate button or text WBAI to 41444. Well, Driving Forces is coming to a close. We want to thank our guests and thank you to Celeste for booking them because they were both awesome. Nolan Hicks of the New York Post and Ivan Pereira of AM New York. And of course, our wonderful and engaging engineer, James. Uh, But of course, we also want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in each week uh, to Driving Forces. Again, if you missed the show or you want to listen to it again, go to WBAI.org. It'll be up shortly. And uh, next week, we've got some great guests, and Celeste will talk about them tomorrow. Have a great day. Take care. up next on WBAI at 6, we have the WBAI Evening News with Paul DiRienzo, followed at 6.30 by Justice Matters and Bob Ganji. Stay with us for all that and more. Sunday, June 2nd, tune in to WBAI from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. for our special coverage of 50 years since Stonewall, Pride, Politics, and Progress. 
Back then, what began as a police raid led to days of protests, a newfound empowerment, and staunch advocacy to achieve social progress for the LGBTQ communities. And we'll speak with leaders on the front lines, elected officials, advocates, and history makers who've been part of the gay rights movement and have witnessed its successes and setbacks. This World Pride Month, WBAI celebrates achievements in Stonewall, and we speak out against Trump administration efforts to roll back these rights. 50 years since Stonewall on WBAI in New York, Sunday, June 2nd, from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. Mark your calendars for a special event with Tom Hartman, that's me, and WBAI's Leonard Lopate on my new book, The Hidden History of Guns and the Second Amendment. Don't miss the brutal role guns have played from the enforcement of slavery, Native American genocide, to post-Civil War racism, and the solutions we can put into place now to stop gun violence in America. It's Saturday, June 8th from 7 to 9 p.m., $40, plus you get a free book. Come hear me interviewed by Leonard Lopate. The Hidden History of Guns and the Second Amendment at the Commons, 388 Atlanta. Avenue in New York City. A $40 ticket will include the event and a book. There'll be a Q&A afterwards, so bring your questions. Get your tickets at give2wbai.org. That's give2wbai.org. And you can also call to get tickets at 516-620-3602. That's give2wbai.org. Or call 516-620-3602. I look forward to seeing you there and tag your it. You're listening to WBAI New York.